Neon Hum. This is Dirt Cheap. I'm Jeffrey Golden. And I'm Amanda Meadows. And we're reading Murder in the Glass Room by Edwin Rolfe and Lester Fuller. Do you remember where we last left off in Chapter 7 of Murder in the Glass Room? So we finally learn about Rosa. I feel like we all still mostly want to know why Rosa is still, like, implicated in any of this. Why would she even let him in? He seems like a, just trouble. <laughs> like, yeah. why, why would you let this kid in? Then, like, he leaves. He leaves. Which is crazy, also. It's like, you've yeah. already, you found someone who miraculously is willing to, like... Hide you. Hide you for a minute. Yeah. But no, he goes back to his already a hotspot apartment building. Where he, yeah, where he expects police will be there. He because, expects police. Yeah. And yet he's like lurking around, but not really lurking. He's like, people can just see him. Right. And then he uh, he breaks in yeah. to a neighbor's apartment, yeah, Shelly's Shelley, apartment. Who we had met sort of briefly in two prior scenes. Chapter eight. She backed away from me slowly, her eyes frightened. How did you know my name? I said. She stared at me. How did you know my name? I took a step towards her, and again she moved backward. Why? Her voice quivered with fear. I said, never mind why, answer me. Although I tried to keep my voice down, I knew I was on the point of shouting. What are you doing here? What do you want? Her eyes kept darting nervously around her, as if she had lost muscular control. <laughs> her her pre-existing condition is fear. She, <laughs> she is, is so afraid yes. of a random dude yes. just breaking into her door yeah, and, and locking it behind him. And he's like, what's with this weird tick she has? What's wrong with your eyes, darling? <laughs> I want to know why you called me Phil this afternoon. She moistened her lips. Then she said slowly, That is your name, isn't it? I felt like grabbing her and crushing it out of her. Instead, I repeated, How did you know? That day I saw you in the hall. Yes. Yes? I asked the elevator boy. Go on. And he told me. You're sure that's all? What else would there be? My breath came out in a soft rush, almost like a sigh. I realized how close to the edge I'd been. He was like the Incredible Hulk. He was like, I was so close to Hulk coming out. No! I don't know, I said. Her eyes were wide open and innocent. They would have convinced me she was telling the truth, even if her words hadn't. Together, they clinched it. I felt completely hopeless about everything again. I felt like a fool. I wanted to disappear. I wanted to turn around and go out the door quietly, but I remained where I was. There didn't seem to be any point in moving, doing anything at all. The emo switch has been flipped on Phil Norris. Oh, man. He went from like, I am a ball of rage to like, I don't want to live anymore. <laughs> she was still staring at me, but not at my eyes, not at my face. Her eyes were focused on the spot somewhere below my chin. The scared look was almost gone, but there was something almost as bad. 
I couldn't tell whether it was surprise or shock or both. I looked down and saw what was holding her attention. The whole front of me was covered with caked mud where I had lain on the ground, and there were green-brown stains on the knees of my trousers from the wet grass. I was playing with the other kids, I said. Like this and the moment with the carpet, like it seems like all of his like uh, man boy stuff like comes out with Shelly. Yeah. You know? He does this around women. It's like he is either slapping them or breaking into their apartments or he's like crying and yeah. asking for them to like take care of him. You fell down somewhere? She asked timidly. Yeah, I fell down. Have you got a whisk room? She hesitated. Look, I said, I came here for only one thing. Now I've found out. I'm not going to hurt you. You don't have to worry. I'm not worried, she said, but I didn't believe her. I'm getting out right away. She said, wait a minute, and walked out of the room. I had to skip now, I thought. Now, all the skipping's good. Who knows where she's gone? Maybe she's gone out to telephone. Maybe she's going out to telephone. All right. Okay. Sounds British. Sounds British. <laughs> Maybe she's going out to telephone. <laughs> Maybe she's calling the cops. I started to head for the door when I heard her come back in. Here's a clothes brush, her voice said. I turned around, and sure enough, she was holding it out to me. I said, thanks, and started to work over my clothes. As I brushed, she said, you were going to leave, weren't you? Yeah. I said, why didn't you? You came back too soon. I grinned at her, and for the first time she smiled. But she's not gonna be smiling when she sees all the mud grass that Phil is brushing onto he's, her floor. Yeah, and it's like, he's gonna hand her back the clothes brush and it's just gonna be like caked with like <laughs> matted grass and mud. <laughs> I'm mad. This I'm is, mad for Shelly. I agree. Do you think Shelly is doing this because she is afraid? and Or do you think she's doing this to be a neighbor? Do you think uh, she has forgiven Phil for barging in? Or do you think that this is all out of uh, self-preservation? That she feels like she's held hostage in the situation? You know, I think it's a mix. I yeah. feel like it's the 40s, uh, even if a man that you almost know, like, barges into your house, you <laughs> still have to be polite to him. Right. You know, like, I believe that. You're you know? locked in on that. You're locked in on that. Like, you still have to offer them a cup of tea and, <laughs> and a clothes brush and to take their coat or whatever. She's a smart person, and mm -hmm. she's a reporter, right? You bet. So, you know, there might also just be the, like, well, I'm not going to kick him out. If he wants to keep incriminating himself in front of me, mm. this, these are good things to remember. I don't know that she has a motive, but I, if I were in her position, I would be just kind of, oh, okay, this guy's bullshit, so I don't need to worry about him killing me. I'm just going to watch him fuck up for a while and see if this is relevant. You know, she said, you're doing it the wrong way. I continued the brushing. It's coming off, isn't it? Some, she said, not impressed, but you want to use straight strokes in one direction, all of them. Okay, I said, holding the brush out to her. You show me how. Oh my God, what? Just follow her direction, Phil. It was <laughs> one straight brush. How How is he doing anything different? It's imp it's It's like rocket science. You're gonna have to break this down for me. 
She took the brush from my hand and started with the long, straight strokes, all in one direction. Most of the caked mud had dropped to the floor, and she was working on the brown stains caught deep in the fabric. Then she stooped down to brush the stains off my knees. I watched her all the time. She was very close to me, and she smelled very clean and very restful. After a while, she stopped. That's as much as a brushing can do, she announced. That suit needs cleaning. Thanks, I said. Sorry I gave you such a scare. I'll let you go to bed now. And I turned and headed for the door, feeling her eyes on the back of my neck. As I reached the door, I hesitated. Don't hesitate. Don't, <laughs> don't hesitate. Don't, go, Phil. Go, Keep going. Please go. Keep go. Go, Phil. <laughs> finish, finish what you started, Phil. <laughs> I didn't want to, but I did. The back halls had been clear before, but what was there to guarantee that they weren't filled with cops by now? I didn't know, and I had to make sure. But I didn't want to give it away to her, especially now, especially since I felt like a fool already. You're tired, aren't you? She said. Yeah. I turned awkwardly and tripped and kept my balance only by bringing one foot around quickly. It was like a comic vaudeville dance step, quick and tricky and ludicrous. I'm just imagining like a Dick Van Dyke. Yes, like a like, like a like a drunk hobo clown version of Dick Van Dyke. Yeah, do 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 do. I may have murdered my wife, but you do not know for sure. <laughs> do <Boom>. do do. <laughs> she didn't laugh though. Yeah, I'm pooped. I said, putting my hand on the doorknob. Where are you going? She asked. Out. She nodded gravely. I'm sorry, I said again. I made a mistake. I'll go now. You don't have to go yet. What? I mean, she said, I can get you a drink or something. I don't want to keep you awake. Don't worry. I'm a late stayer-upper. Can I get you a drink? Okay, what? Yeah, she's offering him a drink. He's disgusting. I'd like one. She asked me to follow her, and I did, watching the way she moved. She was good to look at. We went through a door into a spacious, comfortable living room. She motioned me to a sofa, and I started for a closet on the opposite side of the room. I sank down into the soft, deep cushions and closed my eyes. It had been one hell of a day, one hell of a strange, disappointing day, and I was all in. I felt as dried out as a piece of burnt tissue paper. Even with my eyes closed, I felt her looking at me all the time. Off in the distance, I heard a tinkle of glasses and the gurgling of liquid coming out of the narrow neck of a bottle. Then there was a silence. I felt light, as if my body had left me and was floating through space. I knew that if I let myself go, I could fall asleep. I shook my head violently and opened my eyes. She was standing over me, tray in hand. I watched her put it down on the coffee table next to my knees. There was a bottle of black and white on it, and a siphon bottle, and a thermos bowl of ice, and two tall glasses three quarters filled with the dark amber-colored drinks. She sat down next to me. Here, she said, this will make you feel better. <laughs> what a diagnosis. Alcohol was the just... It was everything. You, it was, it was the panacea. You are 
very belligerent. Have some alcohol. <laughs> this will fix you right up. This will this will fix that problem. It was either like you either got filled with whiskey or black coffee. You got like you had two choices. <laughs> <laughs> the whiskey tasted good inside my mouth, and it did its job. She watched me over the rim of her glass. Are you in trouble? She asked. I took another long swallow. Don't think I'm being nosy, she said. I looked at her and saw that the low neck of her robe had buckled open. Oh man, this is a person who, whenever there is cleavage, he has to tell us about it. He's been clocking her, like, physicality since he barged in. (laughs) Do you want to talk? I asked. She smiled and said, "Uh Uh-huh. For the first time since I've got there that evening, she looked like the dame who had laughed at me in the hall and who had kidded with me at the bar of the St. Regis. The frightened look was gone from her eyes and from the set of her body. There was only one strange thing about her. I don't know whether it was really there or if I had just imagined it, but the smile on her lips seemed set and forced. It was the kind of smile you set your facial muscles into when you're trying to keep some emotion from getting out of control. I didn't know what to make of it, but the liquor had loosened me up, and the open neckline of her robe helped me along. So, Phil is noticing that she is very tense for some reason. Yeah, she's tense and maybe hiding something, (laughs) but the fact that her robe just kind of opened a little bit... Yeah, that's enough. ...has made him completely melt into her couch, I guess. So here he is really accurately describing what it's like to be in a conversation with somebody who was very uncomfortable with you. Yes. But not understanding that she is uncomfortable with him. Yes. It's it's, It's incredible. (laughs) He's like so ultimately uninterested in how other people feel. Before I was really aware of it, I moved closer to her and put my hand on her knee. I felt her stiffen up. The scared look came back into her eyes. I saw it when I put my other hand around her shoulder. I moved away. So. (laughs) Oh, my God. So Phil puts his hand on her knee. Yes. Right, which is an incredibly intimate thing to do. And then she tenses up, and he acknowledges that he tenses up. And so he was like, you know, to solve this, (laughs) you know, solve this situation, if I also put my arm around her. And then he was like, oh, you know what? Wait, this is this is making the problem worse. And then he moved away. Okay, I said. I wanted to go in the first place. She looked at me with half-scared, half-pleading eyes. Don't go, she whispered. I flopped back into the sofa. You still want to talk, I said. Uh-uh, she said. You sure? Uh-uh. Her head moved slowly from side to side, and she put her fingers up to my lapel. They moved nervously over me in a vague, half-brushing, half-caressing manner. Your suit's still messy, she said in a low voice. When I looked up to her face again, I saw that her eyes were slit-lidded. It gave me a funny feeling, and I knew that I should get out of there. In spite of the slow, languid way she moved and talked, There was something tense and strange about her, but I moved closer to her. This time she didn't pull away. All my troubles, I said, should be like this. You're joking, 
she said. Yeah, I'm joking. I moved the rest of the way and put my arm around her. Then I got the surprise of my life. This time she moved towards me in a sudden rush and pulled me down. Her lips were soft and hot and she kissed me first. In the darkness, I could feel her lying next to me, warm and breathing easily now. But I knew she wasn't asleep. What? Did time pass? Did she kiss and pass out on him? <laughs> or did we skip ahead into, like, they're in bed? The implication is that they had sex. This was like a dime store novel. I, I could have done a little more. Well, I would have. You would have thought so, right? That there would have been some, like, you know, hot, scintillating details. But no, they really just, like, cut. They cut from, like... She kissed me to We Have Boned. Be right back. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, nothing. No tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? No. Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. We're back. But I knew she wasn't asleep. As for me, I couldn't have slept if I wanted to. There were too many loose ends brushing around in my brain and in my guts. <laughs> my, what a weird, what? What a weird I'm for, like, I imagined the what? threads jangling in a brain, but right. once he introduced the guts, I- A lot I, of loose ends in my guts. <laughs> if I had been a different sort of guy, Everything would have been perfect between me and Shelly. But since I'm the kind of guy I actually am, there was just enough to spoil it. My arm was getting cramped, so I moved slightly, as gently as I could. It was then I felt her trembling. At first I wasn't sure, so I moved back against her and waited. There was no mistaking it. Her whole body was shuddering. She's trembling. She is like scared about something. Yeah, she's hugging him like like a like a stuffed animal or right. something. So, I guess we're supposed to uh, infer here that maybe Shelly, someone's after Shelly because like he broke in. Right. She was freaking out. Mhm. And it's possible that maybe she thought Phil was going to be the person who she was expecting and he wasn't. Right. And so she kept him around as, like, protection. Mm. This is my new cockamamie theory. I don't I don't know what to expect. And given what we've been told so far, I'm not, I'm not convinced of anything. <laughs> I, it could be literally anything could happen next. There was no mistaking it. Her whole body was shuddering. I lay there quietly in the darkness and listened. Her body didn't stop shuddering, and soon I heard her breathing go faster and faster and louder and louder, and then it began to catch. I leaned up over her and whispered, Shelly. She didn't answer. She was crying, not weeping, actually crying. What is the difference between those two? Wait, what's a weep? Like, I always just thought weeping was- It's synonymous. Yeah. Shelly. She didn't answer. The sobs shook her whole body. 
I could feel it in the darkness. The crying was uncontrolled. It was the kind of crying that comes not from the throat, but from the guts. More guts, Doc. Guts. Guts. I became scared myself. I leaned over her and grabbed her bare shoulders with my hands and tried to turn her towards me. She was hard to move. Her whole body was rigid. I began to shake her, easily at first, then roughly. All the time I kept saying, Shelly, Shelly. The one thing we've all been told to do when someone near you is maybe is naked and crying. Yes. Shake them. To shake them violently and <laughs> yell their name at them. <laughs> After a while, I felt her relax. I let go of her shoulders and she sank back. Then she spoke in a very small voice. Thanks, Phil, she said. She leaned over me and put her head on my chest. Her cheeks were wet against my skin. I'm sorry, Phil. I don't know why. I just don't know. I didn't say anything. It won't happen again, Phil. I promise you. Never again. Okay. Uh, what? What's what? the it? <laughs> the, the sex? Crying The sex? crying? <laughs> yes, I thought. Maybe that would be the best thing. Not to ever let it happen again. Shelly broke in on my thoughts. Phil? She whispered. Yes? She moved back to her own pillow. You shouldn't have come here. I waited. But I'm glad you did. I grunted. Even if you did kill her. I didn't move. I just froze up, not knowing what to say. After a while, she spoke again. You didn't kill her, Phil, did you? I waited a moment before I answered. What do you think? I don't think you did. She knew about the allegations. Yep. Yep. Remember earlier when (laughs) Phil was like, I super trust her just by looking at her. Yeah. She's clearly telling me the truth. And, uh, yeah, no, of course she knew. Yeah, she totally knew. Of course, everyone knew who he is. Yeah, we knew. She knew. He knew. We knew. We all knew. I'm still confused about her real emotions about the situation. I don't know how she really feels about any of this. Yeah. It feels strange. Not sure why you would even need to go that far. Well, this is somebody who she barely knows. Right. Who... By sleeping with him, by you could make an argument that she was hiding him, you know, that she was. Oh, she can absolutely at this point be like considered some type of accomplice. The longer right. he stays there, yeah, the more plausible that is. So, this is a big risk. And she's a reporter. And she is a reporter. I mean, listen, she might be a traffic reporter. I don't know. I will say this. She is a legit reporter. We'll find out in a little bit. But she is working on a legit story. Interesting. I turned over on my pillow, facing her, looking down on her head, which was a dim blur against the pillow. What do you know about it? I asked. My voice wasn't soft anymore. Just what everybody else knows. What? What they read in the morning paper. So the cops had broken it at last. That made it worse. Now I wouldn't have only the whole L.A. police force to worry about. Every newspaper reader was also a potential detective. Have you got it here? I asked. You know, I'm thinking about the timeline now. 
it's possible she didn't know until the morning paper was delivered and oh. that maybe she maybe she read the paper and then went back to bed. Oh, that would be weird. I guess that's possible. I guess it's possible. Seems unlikely. Yeah, but I guess I wouldn't have expected that the newspaper had already been arrived when that conversation was happening. I was imagining twilight hours, but right. I, I listen. This book is written very strangely. It is absolutely. <laughs> so it's hard I, to listen, know what's going on. Yeah. Have you got it here? I asked. Yes. Why didn't you tell me before? She kept quiet. Why didn't you show it to me when I got here? She pressed herself close to me in the darkness. I didn't want to spoil this. This? This. Girl, this? I curled a strand of her hair around my finger, but my mind wasn't on her anymore. I've got to see it, I said. I felt her moving away from me slowly, reluctantly. A second later, she turned on the bedside lamp. I watched her long body move gracefully across the room. She opened a dressing room door and a few minutes later emerged, wrapped in a blue silk gown. Hold on. Long body? Her long body. Her long body. Her is long she body. This is Rosa all over again. Yes. Is she tall? Is she like what are you talking about when you say her like is is her does she just have like a really long torso? Her legs are real fucking short. She opened a dressing room door and a few minutes later emerged wrapped in a blue silk gown. Her long blonde hair was piled on her head and caught at the top with small amber-colored combs. You stay here, she said. I'll be right back. I pulled her pillow over to my side, put it on top of mine, and propped myself against the headrest. Soon she came back with the midnight edition of the Times. It was a page one story, all right. The whole first column was taken up by it, and there was a long continuation inside. Young woman found brutally murdered in Canyon residence. Police seek Philip Norris, expect early arrest. The story went on. I knew most of it, of course, much better than any reporter could. <laughs> Me, the guy who everybody thinks murdered her, I know a lot more than some dumb reporter does. That's right, baby. <laughs> <laughs> But I had to admit that they were remarkably adept at piling on the small details. I looked at the story for a long time. Then I started to tear it out of the paper. Going to keep it? Shelley asked. I said yes. For my scrapbook. <laughs> yeah, he's got... For my pure one scrapbook. Yeah, he puts all his favorite incriminating evidence into a little shoebox. <laughs> yeah. Here's my fingerprints. Shelley shook her head. I wish I could help you, Phil. Her eyes were moist and all lighted up. I pulled her down against my chest and ran my fingers over and through that big, soft mass of hair, and I felt her breathing against me. You've already helped me, I said, and I wished it were true. <laughs> wow. wow. So after all that, after everything that she did for him, He's like, I wished it were true that she helped me. She really didn't, though. <laughs> yeah, this meant nothing. I am void. <laughs> yeah, void man. <laughs> Be right back. 
While Shelly busied herself in the kitchen, I dressed and went into the living room. After a while, she came out of the kitchen carrying a tray crowded with scrambled eggs and toast and jam and coffee. It was 3.30, pretty early for breakfast, but I was hungry. <laughs> this is a long night. So, like, yeah, what's she still, wanted still. to sleep with him, but is, like, very uncomfortable about having done it, but has, like, deep feelings for him. Shelly watched me with a satisfied smile as I ate, and then she joined me and had coffee. Afterward, we sat back and smoked. I thought, why the hell hadn't something like this happened a week ago? Why the hell did it have to happen now, today, of all days? But I couldn't concentrate on Shelly, much as I wanted to. At what point did he concentrate on Shelly, by the way? No, no point did he concentrate on Shelly. He's given her nothing. Look, I said to her suddenly, what kind of newspaper work do you do? All kinds. Working on anything now? A couple of things. Anything special? Yes, one thing. Why? I hesitated before I answered. I've come across a racket you might be interested in. It's all tied up with the war veterans. She almost jumped when I said it. War veterans? Yes. Know anything along that line? Know anything? That's my story. Huh. Hmm. Ah. Not to listen. He's not connecting dots, but dots are being connected around him. I, I have a question about setting, because like, how long have Shelly and Phil been neighbors? Is something I'm wondering. Did Shelly know, know Edna? Yeah, I don't. Something. It seems like Shelly like, doesn't know about Edna so far, but yes. maybe that's something she's hiding. I don't know. Could be. It could be another thing that she is, yeah, not telling him about. Ever hear of a guy named Stanley? Her eyes opened wide. George F. O. Stanley? She said. Stanley's economic reports? Professor Stanley, economic consultant, operates from a rat trap down on Spring Street? The same, I said. What do you know about him? Everything, she said. That is practically everything. I'm listening. But how does Stanley tie up with you? I'll tell you. But first, what's the dope on Stanley? Shelley wrinkled her brows in thought. There isn't really very much. I haven't been able to trace him back beyond 11 years ago. At that time, he was teaching economics and political science in a small Illinois college, Parker Heights College, it was called. So he really is a professor, I said. No, not really. <laughs> Great, sorry. Yeah. Very no, funny. no, he's, uh, he's not a professor. Anyone who goes by Professor Stanley, I guess, can't be a real professor. That's right. No, not really. Shelley said, just an instructor. He was married and doing pretty well, as well as you can on a small backwater campus, when the big scandal broke. What scandal? His wife was found dead in his home. Shelley's voice sank to an intense whisper. At first, everybody thought it was suicide. The autopsy showed she'd been poisoned. But at the inquest, something came up that Stanley thought nobody knew about. It seems... Shelley stopped and took a long sip at her coffee cup. It seems Stanley had been having an affair with a girl on the campus, one of the students. 
They had a bungalow together on the shore of a lake a few miles from the college, and they'd been spending a lot of time together there. Just a college kid? I asked. Just a college kid, Shelley repeated. Too young to know any better, too young to know what she was getting into. Anyway, that put a different emphasis on the whole thing. Stanley and the girl were accused of poisoning his wife to get her out of the way. There was a trial, but they were never convicted. No proof? Uh-uh. They never could pin it on them. So what happened? What could happen? Harley was fired from his job, and the girl was expelled from school. Harley? That was his name then, Shelley said. He changed it afterward. Ah. All right, I want to point something out here. Yes, please. Typically, in a mystery story, Mm -hmm. you would have multiple people who could potentially have committed this crime. Yeah, you'd have quite a few red herrings. You'd have some suspects, right? Indeed. We are nearing the halfway point. We're not quite halfway, but we're nearing the halfway point. Can you think of anybody else in this book who may have murdered Edna besides the professor? No. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Not, it's like... (laughs) It seems to be the professor. (laughs) You are making a great point. This is a a supposed mystery novel. Yeah. And it so far it feels like like kind of like a like a lukewarm episode of Law and Order SVU <laughs> where it's like obvious who it is. Right. That was his name then, Shelley said. He changed it afterward. I see, I said. Did he get another job teaching? No, Shelley said. Things like that get around. You can be fired from a school for incompetence a dozen times, and you can still land another post, but not with the suspicion of murder over you, even if it wasn't proved, and not with the moral turpitude angle added to it. And since then? I asked. Since then, he's done whatever he could. Promotion, wild schemes of one kind or another, patent medicine rackets, all kinds of rackets. I'm not so sure about what he did exactly during those years, I do know he showed up in Italy and Germany for a few years before the war and got chummy in a bootlicking sort of way with some of the Nazi and fascist middle shots. And that's the last I knew about him until I started on my veteran story and found out he was in on that racket too, right here in Los Angeles. As if he wasn't guilty enough, he's also like chummy with the Nazis. There were a lot of people who probably did that, I guess. Like, just scammers. It's like, you follow the scam. Follow the scam. Follow the scam. Nazis is another way to make money. I mean, yeah, race (laughs) science is extremely profitable. Absolutely. We're still living in that world. You bet, yeah. And, like, of course, Professor Stanley would be of that school of shyster-type folks who come out of the the, um, eugenics movement of the late 19th century, early 20th century that it like kind of permutated to suit the the political needs of the time. Right. Where'd you get all this dope? I asked. I'm a newspaperman, Phil, Shelley said, laughing. I know where to look. Any newspaper file under H. I'm a newspaperman. We all have secret... (laughs) 
access to the president's <laughs> permanent records on all of you. <laughs> We're Big Brother. We see all. <laughs> We're watching over you. Uh. And now that I've told you about him, how does he tie up with you, Phil? I started from the beginning. I don't know why I spilled it to her. I'd known her less than 12 hours, and I'd never set eyes on her until a few days ago. But she was the only decent thing that had happened to me in a long time. I suppose I felt grateful to her. That, and maybe something more. Oh my god, didn't he just say that when he, like, went to Edna's for the first time <laughs> in a while, just like the day before? You think Stanley had something to do with her death? She asked me when I was through. I think he killed her, I said. Look, first time I see the guy, I see him sock Edna in the face. You did too, Phil, she said softly. I know, but I had a reason. <laughs> I had a reason, a non-murder reason, just to be clear. Oh my, my God. reason wasn't murder. His reason was murder. <laughs> see the difference? Then, ten minutes later, they come walking into the room, arm in arm, and cooing at each other, as if nothing had happened. That doesn't mean anything, she murmured. I've seen that happen in lots of so-called happy marriages. Again, mm. the 40s. God, the 40s. everyone was getting slapped constantly. I grinned at her, but my thoughts kept going their own way. The only thing wrong with my theory, I said, is that Stanley's secretary says he left for Washington two days ago. Have you checked on it? It's being done. Oh, Phil, she said eagerly. I can help you. She went to the desk on the other side of the room and came back with the telephone, the long wire trailing behind her. Don't you know, she said, that airport offices are open 24 hours a day. She dialed information for the number. While she waited, she held her hand over the mouthpiece and said, we'll find out right now. I let her do all this because my mind was playing tricks with me. <laughs> it's his favorite thing to do is to just turn up in a woman's house and hope that she'll feel bad for him. And help him through yeah, all of his problems. Yeah, he's just recreating Rosa. Yeah, this scene definitely has parallels. Like just, again, the laziness. The laziness <laughs> of Phil. Just, yeah, like, she's just like, like, oh, I'm telling you exactly how we can figure this out. Like, instead of getting excited, he's like, all right, I guess you should do it. Also, like, she is a newspaper person. She actually knows what she's doing when it comes to investigating. But again, but he is let her, woman. Right, is woman, right? I was miles away in space and time. But as soon as she said, we'll find out right now, I leaned over, took her hand in mine, and slowly forced her to put the phone down. But Phil, she said, you want to know, don't you? Sure, but someone else is doing it. Shelly shook her head. I covered up. Besides, normal people don't call for routine information in the middle of the night. She started to protest, but stopped. Have it your way, she said. We sat there for a while like an old married couple who have a squabble and don't talk to each other, although each wants to forget it. Shelly broke it up by yawning and then laughing about it. <laughs> what time is it? She asked. I looked at my watch. Almost five, I said. I'll have to beat it soon. Where will you go? I've got a place. Where? I stared at her. I'm sorry, she said. Is it safe? Safe enough. But they're looking for you. I'll make it. 
I'll leave before it gets light. You ought to get some sleep. Not yet. I'll have plenty of time for that later. I got up and she came over and put her arms around me and pressed her heart against me. Be careful, Phil, she said. For my sake. Her hand moved up to my head and she pulled my face down to be kissed. This time, I kissed first. After a while, I eased her away from me. She knew I had to go, so she helped. I waited in the kitchen while she went out the back door and pressed the elevator button. Through the closed door, I heard the whir as it rose. Then Shelly came back in again. All set, she said. I'll get in touch with you tomorrow, no matter what. She nodded gravely. I'll wait in. I walked over into the service corridor. The elevator was waiting. I was sure that her door was open and that she was watching me. Then I stepped into the cage and pressed the basement button. That is chapter eight. Wow. In the glass room. What a consequential chapter. It's big and weird and messy. We learned a lot of important information, but I, I have like more questions for each info bit we received today. Absolutely. <laughs> I'd be curious to know how this would have read to a 1940s audience if they would have just accepted everything at face value as it happens. Um, but uh, reading it in 2020, it is baffling. <laughs> I'm so confused uh, by everyone's choices. And uh, if Phil is not like learning, he doesn't seem to have an arc yet, which is crazy. Yeah, he does not seem to have learned anything. Because again, like you said, we're already nearing the middle of the book. Right. I don't know what to expect next. That's for fucking sure. Well, I'll tell you this much. In chapter nine, Phil has a rough encounter with someone from his past. Whoa. Yeah. Someone from his past. Yeah. It, a rough encounter, you say. It, yeah, it ain't smooth. But yeah, that's coming up next time on Dirt Cheap. Dirt Cheap is a Neon Hum podcast. It's hosted by me, Jeffrey Golden. And me, Amanda Meadows. Our producer is Carla Green. Associate producer is Chloe Chobel. The executive producer is Jonathan Hirsch. Editing by Vikram Patel. Original music by Chris Katinas. Additional tracks you hear on this episode are from Epidemic Sound. Our engineer and sound effects guy is Scott Somerville. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Dirt Cheap Pod and Instagram at Dirt Cheap Books. Also, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next episode for another exciting chapter of Murder in the Glass Room. <laughs> <laughs>